Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations we should be having about our food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, Farmer's Market Manager Cookie Roscoe joins us to talk about making markets part of your grocery routine. Then, more kooky ice cream, less kooky beer, and a beer and food looking for love on Blind Beer Date. All right, we have the fabulous Cookie Roscoe with us today. She is a farmer's market manager for the Stop Market, which is the one at Witchwood Barnes, right? That's right. And for the market at Six Kids Hospital, yes. which I didn't even know existed. That's yes. fantastic. It is the best. Yeah, it's been there about 10 years. Wow. Seeing the market around the U of the part that driveway on University Avenue is mm-hmm. a big deal, man. Yeah. I love walking by and seeing that happen. Oh, I'm going to have to yeah. check that out. You'll really love it. It's beautiful. But before we dive in, Cookie, I had to ask you, you have won an award called the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Ooh, Award. Yeah, that's true. That sounds pretty fancy. <laughs> what is that? Well, uh, when she hit the 60-year mark mm-hmm. as of her reign, of her reign right. uh, to celebrate. Okay, not her age. No. I was <laughs> yeah. That was a while ago. Yeah. That, yeah, really. But I am that old, too. But... Um, she wanted to share the joy with 60,000 Canadians. So it's not like I'm exactly unique. Okay. <laughs> but but listen, like, there's 37 million of us. Yeah. You yeah. were still chosen. I was. Mm. And I got to uh, go to a little ceremony and be given this award with a bunch of other people. And it was very cool. It, and it is very cool to... Uh, to have been recognized. Yeah. And were the other folks, like community-based folks, doing interesting things, too? Yeah. Yep. How nice. Yeah. Oh, that's That lovely. is a well-deserved honor, my dear. Thank I am you. a big fan. Oh, thank you. I have to ask, is it a medal or a pin? Or it is. <laughs> it, it's actually like... The details tell I me about the hardware. <laughs> yes. It looks like a coin, and there's a piece of cloth that it's attached <gasps> to. And oh, like a proper soldier's yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. and you are given protocol of when you can wear it and what kinds of things. And in essence, you wear it to respect the people that you are wearing it around. Uh, so where is it now, uh, Cookie? Oh, it's it's in a goofball frame over my bed. Amazing. I'm extremely proud of yeah. it. I am. Nice. And the coolest part of it is that my descendants, i.e. both Your of my daughters. daughters, now have the right, if they want, to book their weddings in St. James Cathedral. <laughs> What a fantastic roll-off benefit. That's a random program. Isn't it? Yeah. I yeah. love that. There's yeah. a screenplay in there somewhere, right? I think so. Yeah, really. Oh. So, Cookie, I, I know, Josh, now you go to markets quite All the frequently. time, yes. Um, but I brought you in today because uh, I, I do love going to markets. For me, it's a really fun thing to do, but it's it's not part of my regular routine. To be honest, I usually go to the grocery store. I like the convenience of having it all in the one place. At the same time, though, I really love supporting, you know, local industry, and I love seeing the people behind, you know, anything that I own or eat. Um, but I'd like to integrate it in my, into my weekly shopping routine, but it just feels like a to-do. So I was hoping you oh. might tell me what I'm missing out on, and maybe yeah. you, you guys can tell me how She's you make it right part of your routine yeah. and what I can, you know, what I'm missing out on, and just in general. Well, I mean, for me. Farmers markets are just joy, you know. I, I still shop in a grocery store myself every once in a while, but 
it's just to get the things that I can't get at the farmer's market right. because I know anything that I'm getting at the farmer's market at a, it is going to be closer to the land. It's going to be better for me because it's better for the producer. There's um, like I years and years ago, I became a good food box coordinator and then I became more connected to my food. So what I was eating mattered more and what I was feeding my kids became more interesting, you know, and connecting with the joy of food is like stitching a quilt together. Like you just, the more you connect with it, the more joy there is and the more, and really that's what farmer's markets are about. Um, so when I had kids, I started doing the good food box, and then I became a customer at Karma Co-op. And yes, I, yeah, I'm familiar with them. Yeah, I found when I stepped into Karma Co-op, mm. there was this huge relief of not having to vet everything. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, and in Because that does annoy me, yeah. vetting everything. Yeah. Okay, you're, you're yeah. building a right. solid argument. And in this world where we have to... Yes. Right. The level of literacy required to make decisions about our food choices is higher than it's ever been in human history. Yep. Right. I think I've said that before here. Um, and one of the things I love about the farmer's market is that I can exhale exactly. and just shop. I don't. It's all going to be interesting stories and beautiful people. Um, and I'm not yeah. even over romanticizing that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I, I know that it sounds like it, but I'm not. Yeah, uh, it is really that beautiful. Uh, the money, direct connection to the person who worked super hard to make that food. Mm -hmm. It is its nutritional best. It is its flavor best. Yeah, you know, you go home and you eat it right there and then. There's minimal packaging; like it yeah. checks all the boxes. Yeah. Right. And people say that like farmers markets are kind of precious or twee totally. or something like that. And you know, there is that layer of it that you can engage in if you're like an Instagram fiend that really has to, you know, it has to be pretty as well as environmentally friendly or mm -hmm. the story has to be compelling or whatever. It's there. It's at the farmer's market in ways that you're just not going to find in a grocery store. But completely aside from that, you, you walk in and you know that what is there for you to choose from is the most environmentally friendly possibilities that are available right now. Also and so, a solid argument. Yeah. Oh, you're winning so, me over. <laughs> so this exhale, right? Yeah. You, this, you can do that and walk around. And then if you need to, you know, Instagram your food, it's a great place to do that as well. But you don't have to. You can just, like, for instance, I brought in a goose egg today. Mm. But there's the story behind duck eggs. Like, ducks lay eggs when they feel pretty good. Okay. And unlike poor chickens mm -hmm. who just have to lay eggs, if ducks don't feel good, they're not going to lay eggs. So if you're at a farmer's market, if, if it bothers you, if animal health bothers you, shop for duck eggs because... They're, they're all voluntarily <laughs> offered up by that's, happy, happy ladies. That's it. Come on. Yeah, seriously, I love it. Yeah. That yeah. is cool. So, okay. So if I want to have a successful first visit at the market, what are a couple of things? Mm, nice question. Keep? I'm assuming bring lots of bags, which and uh, cash. I have tons of cloth bags. Oh, it's all yeah. cash? Yeah. There's, a, okay. there's occasionally a farmer that's got a little swipe stripe on the bottom of their phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. But it's this is a cash economy. There's no question. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to do best with cash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's usually an ATM at most farmers markets now. There's one nearby. And yeah, like lots of vendors have the the square, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. But there, yeah. talk to me about this, Roscoe, because yeah. I see when I'm at the market, I see people who are like, we're going to go to the market. And they're, you know what I mean? White fist clenched. <laughs> we're we're going to live this healthy life when we're going to go to the market. <laughs> and they stand there at the entrance to the market and they. <laughs> oh, we're losing the duck egg. duck egg. Oh, no, it's not a duck egg. It's a uh, goose egg. Goose egg. Goose egg. And I see a shopping list in their hands. Right. And they're looking at the list and they're looking at the tables. And it, the two are not matching. Yes. Yeah. Right? And I, yeah. I feel their heart start to sink. Yeah. Right? At that moment, I want to rush over and be like, honey, let's do this together. Yeah. Right? Let's do this together. <laughs> this uh, the, uh, Going to a market does not eliminate going to a grocery store. Totally. Right? You are fundamentally agreeing to at least two trips. Yeah. Got it. Right? Yeah. Because you're going to need your lemons and your olive oil and your <laughs> toilet paper, you know, and all those things yeah. from somewhere. And those will never be at a farmer's market. Well, olive yeah. oil is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, like, it's just, can you help us with other bits like that that are yeah. like, here's here's what you're agreeing to when you walk in. So, yeah, when I see that same person, the guy who's been given a shopping list right. and he's just standing there looking hopeless he just he hates everything and i don't blame him and it's frustrating so i try to find those people as i'm managing i walk by i see somebody looking that look and i go it's okay it's okay don't worry you know you're still in a really good place come on in here because it's may the 30th and it's asparagus season and it also happens to be when geese are laying eggs and ducks are laying and you know it's it's it really is egg time and it just so happens that wild leeks asparagus and eggs are perfect together yeah. so you can calm down like there is almost nothing that you could cook with those things that would right. be awful sure. you know so yeah. that's the completely other mindset that shops with you at a farmer's market that's you're you're probably going to find one or two things on a grocery list if you're shopping the way that you know the home ex class taught right. us to shop or that the flyers tell us to shop where mm-hmm. you know when when we were kids everybody here myself more than anybody else uh flyers established the price of groceries Mm -hmm. based on what was locally the most available. So that was just a natural thing. I don't think I've made that connection, but that makes perfect sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So like cauliflower was on sale because it was a cauliflower year. And spinach would be on sale at this time of year. Asparagus, dirt cheap, right? Mm. All of that kind of stuff. All of those flyers that come around now that we're still mentally training ourselves to write our grocery lists from are established by an algorithm in North America, mostly in in uh, Chicago. Probably based on what was on sale or what was it? And the commodity. Well, it's a commodity thing, it's, right? Yeah, okay. it's commodities right. trainings, okay. trading. So it doesn't really have a lot to do with seasonality anymore. It's... Um, what we got, we got a deal, not based on what Mother Nature is offering. It's just based on some wheeling and dealing. Precisely. Right. Yeah. So yeah. this is re- reconnecting with food on really uh, a more seasonal level. Yes. Yeah. I have one last question. Mm. 
Do I have to get up super early? (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the best, Dufferin Grove Market is one of the best community anchors. Yeah. Right. And I took we took a bunch of students there who were convinced that farmers markets were these really sort of bougie elitist places. (laughs) And I was like, come on, let's go. Uh, And right. And well, before I set them loose, I said, take a look at who's shopping here. Take a look at who these people are. Right. And they were like, oh, these are just regular families who like the pizza oven dinner that they have. You know what I mean? The kids love the momos or whatever sweet thing it is. Um, and it's about affordability and what I like to see, Dufferin Grove specifically, it's about a bunch of people who are choosing uh, the way they want their community to be. Yeah. Right? And these folks are really putting their money where their mouths are and walking talks over there, which is, you feel it when you're walking around there. You're like, we are, we've decided that this is important to us, right? And that we want access to food and a relationship with food like this, Um yeah. All right. Well, I think I'm convinced, and I can certainly handle 3 p.m. in the 3 afternoon on a weekday as a so, freelancer. Being out in the middle of the day when other people are at work is, is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. Say yeah. to yourself. Monday, there's Sororan Market from 3 to 7. On Tuesday, there's Trinity Bellwoods, 3 to 7. Oh, there's a Bellwood. Okay. Yeah, Trinity Bellwoods. Wednesday. The Old Mill. I was just out there. There you go. Uh, and I saw it yesterday, yeah. Beautiful. And Thursday, you know. Like, you really, really have your choice. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Cookie. My pleasure. Joshna, you have a tasty topic for us today. I do. I do. I was sort of poking through to see what seasonal trends, what the sun is shining a little bit. I wanted to see what the food vibe was going to be. What glory, eh? Right? Oh, finally. I remember walking outside just being like, what is that on my face? And I was like, oh, it's the sun. Oh, I see. That is what it feels like to have the sun on your face. So when it gets so sunny, uh, our natural inclination is towards to lean to uh, ice cream. Yes, and that's what we're talking about today is ice cream. But uh, gone are the days of your mama's chocolate chip, my friend, uh, because the, the, the 2019 summer vibe on ice cream is all about savory flavor. Oh, I can get behind that. Yeah, I, I kind of had a feeling, mm-hmm. right? I kind of had a feeling that you and the sweet stuff. Um, I am not so sure. I've ta- We've tasted a bunch of it, right? Tasting menus and things. There's mm-hmm. always a little bit of play around some cheese or corn or things like that. And um, I do like salted chocolate. Right. Which I'm guessing is yeah. sort of leaning towards that I area. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure, right? One of the things that I was wondering about mm-hmm. is that because... Flavors are muted when they're cold. Yeah. That it's easier to play around with. You don't have to worry about some something getting too sort of wild and crazy. Everything sort of takes a dial down so you can play a little bit more, right? I think that's fair. Uh, yeah. In real life, I'm uh, a vanilla ice cream woman and, okay. and occasionally mint chocolate chip. Well, because you're not a savage. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I will admit, whenever I see a really unusual flavor of ice cream, yeah. I go for it right away. And you know, I think the only disappointment I've ever had is that the flavor didn't come through enough. It's never right, okay. clashed. It's never right. not worked. I remember I was in New York a couple of years ago and there was olive oil ice cream. And I yeah, thought, ooh, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was meh. You know, mm. I went back to vanilla. Well, there it is. So, okay. So what I brought, I brought a list of flavors okay, that I tell think me. are so interesting. One, um, the idea of a scoop of beet ice cream. And then a second scoop of goat cheese ice cream. Well, that works. Beet right? is sweet. I think so. It's got a gorgeous color. That's it. 
And I'm trying to think if I've ever had a sweet interpretation of beet. Have you ever had like a, I've had they a, don't make beet I've, pies, do they? No, but I made I made a beet brulee. Okay. With lots of success. Right. So I think that would be great. And for people who like goat cheese, it's a natural pairing. It's a good yeah. fit, right? Uh, miso caramel is another one that feels really compelling. Oh, I because yeah, all that umami right up the front, right, mm-hmm. and then a little hit on the sweet. Uh, salted watermelon. Yeah. Right? That works. I'm interested in that. Um, obviously, we can't escape sriracha bacon. <laughs> right? My, Although, I'll be honest. My brain's getting a little confused Yeah, my there. experience with bacon and ice cream is not great because the little frozen nuggets aren't that pleasing, right? The bacon, no. once it's frozen, is <laughs> actually the- not... Uh, no That's thanks. creeping me out, although I am intrigued by the idea of a spicy ice cream and yeah. having the heat and the cold at the right? same time. Right, and the richness in the middle of it all, right? Because with the yeah. cream base. Um, coconut curry. Oh, yeah, that's a classic. Right? I, and I'm, I'm thinking like a cow soy ice cream, I think would be pretty delicious, mm. right? Can I um, ask you? Yeah. Because this is the one that got away from me. Yeah, tell me. Is there a tomato ice cream on the list? There isn't. When I was what do you little, think? when yeah. I was. This is, I think about this still regularly. Oh. When I was very small, I went for a trip to Italy with my parents. We did so regularly because I have family there. And one particularly hot day, we went to an ice cream stand and uh, we were allowed one scoop each. And there was a tomato ice cream there. And, and it was fully ice cream. It was a fully dairy-based thing. ice cream. Ooh. And I was staring at it and thinking, I, I'm so curious to know what this is. But at the same time, I was so hot. I was only allowed one scoop. And I thought, you know what? Uh, oh, correction. It wouldn't have been ice cream. It would have been gelato. Yes. We're, we're Surely. So, you know, I just went with limone, you know, yeah. the lemon, which is the classic. But to this day, I always wonder what that tomato oh. ice cream would have been like. I'm always, anno- you know, annoyed with myself that I missed out on that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I understand that little me, you know, baby me. I know. Only had one scoop. The I know. very strict rules. She couldn't just put her eggs I in the unknown I couldn't ask basket. if I could have yeah. a taste of the tomato and then move on. And it haunts me. every Whenever I'm in Italy, I look for it. Uh, I, you know, if anyone out there has seen a tomato ice cream, please let me know. Well, I just now, dying now to know what I it feel like, like I want to take the challenge. I love this. Because doesn't it sound like it could be so wrong? Uh, it sounds like it could be terrible. That's why I hesitated. Um, but it, it also sounds like it could be awesome. I'm, I'm going to take the challenge. We had a few <gasps> months till tomato season. Do you have an ice cream maker? Yeah, I sure do. What? Why Why else do you have a pal who's a chef when you dream about things you want to eat? Let's do it. I sense a future We will return 100%. Kitchen. We oh. will return in tomato season to see what we can do. I have tears in my eyes. Woo! Little girl Mirella is really excited oh, right now. Joshna, I read this article recently and wanted to talk about it. It wasn't based on a study or anything. It was just musings, but very true, something that I hadn't noticed before. Um, It was an article by a gentleman named Jeff Allworth, and he was talking about, you know, the beers that are really trendy right now, the those sours, hazy IPA, yes. the sours, cloudy the things, right? fruity. Um, and he was noting that breweries that produce a constant rotation of these kinds of beers do incredibly well. They always have a lineup. They're always packed. They can command higher prices. And the interesting piece is, although this is a winning formula, a large number of breweries are opening with not this formula. Mm. And in fact, it's only a very small percentage of breweries who choose 
to produce this ongoing carousel of different beers, which is interesting. That is really right? interesting. You'd think that uh, it being a winning formula, it would be adopted more. Totally. Well, and the chef inside of me sees immediate parallels into the kitchen. Right. You have daily specials because you always have things around that you need to put together and not waste and make, you know what I mean, and sort of make surprise things with. I'm, I don't know a lot about brewing beer, but I'm going to assume that part of this is that. They're like, we're not necessarily going to invest in a full-on production line of a thing, but let's try out one little, you know, one idea, one flavor or something interesting. That's That feels like that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, in the brewing process, I think it might actually be more complicated to always be producing different things because hmm, okay. if you have a regular, let's say you always make a Pilsner, then you can get a gigantic bag of Pilsner malt. God, okay. You know you're going to get through right. it. And that's it's probably... Not like you're all of a sudden going to have these carrots kicking around. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so then if you're, you know, if you're always trying to make something new and different, then you have to start thinking about, you know, h- how does this fruit... How is this new fruit going to taste within the flavor pro? It does right. take, I think, quite a bit of s- skill and also someone with a lot of experience to successfully make one-offs constantly. I, I mean, imagine mm. if every recipe you made was the first time you ever made the recipe yeah, no, and you had be, no recipe book. Be, uh, you just terrifying. had yeah. some ideas of how other people are doing it. So. That, I think, already gives some insights into why some brewers are choosing does, not to it do it. It does make sense. Interesting, right? It's that really it's interesting. it's not happening more. It's very interesting. I'm also thinking about, I have the experience frequently of loving a thing mm-hmm. and then getting really disappointed to note that I can't actually get it anymore. You know what I mean? That one time, one time only, that was one night, special tap, delicious. It's mm-hmm. a beer that I really dig. It goes down, you know, nice. And I was like, whoa, too bad. Never again. But, you know, that's... You know, a huge part of the beer industry right now. Mm. People are saying it runs on FOMO. Which is a really new thing, yeah, right? It, that never used to be. Beer was about reliability, brand loyalty, things like that. This is this feels new. Is that, a, is is, that fair? It is a big change. Uh, so these breweries that are choosing instead to produce a regular lineup are, are breweries that you can then rely on to reap, to produce again yeah. that beer that you like and you know you're going to go. Uh, but this on this other side, these one-offs, super popular, selling out, very high prices. Oh, that's really interesting. What I especially loved about this write-up is where Jeff landed at the end. It turns out that most of the brewers who are choosing to launch now with traditional German beers or traditional Belgian beers or just, you know, barrel-aged beers or just mm. uh, Belgian table beers are brewing the beers that they love and that they want to produce. Oh, man, isn't that interesting? Without without too much concern about what the market will embrace or bear. And that really warmed my heart because, to me, that's that's what craft beer is. That's It was born of a need to bring back flavors that had been missing. And, you know, craft brewing is... it's It takes a lot of passion because it's a lot of work and not super re- yeah. remunerative. Mm-hmm. So I just love this notion that perhaps that's why, you know, because these brewers are just that. making what they want to make and what they want to drink and what they've enjoyed brewing, whether as home brewers or early on. I feel like there's a really good lesson there, too. And like, if you are a crafter, do the thing you love, not focus less on the thing that you think people want. Josh, now you so, know what time it is. I do. It's time One for a blind beer day. Do, 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 do. I think this is my favorite segment too. I really love it. 
It's fun. It's a ton of fun, uh, and it's uh, it's it's working really well. It, I think, yeah, I like it a lot. Well, such an amazing discovery in episode eleven. That pairing, oh, the third taste, unbelievable, right? I can't and believe we found one so fast. Recap that was smoked cheese and and warm. Yeah, and that warm was beer. quelque chose right? by Unibrew. Yeah, right. Smoked cheese and warm beer, and somehow it just melded. It was beautiful, perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And <sighs> so I have brought a very different beer in today. Okay, okay. I mentioned earlier I have made, given myself the personal challenge of scouring through my cellar. Yes. So this is a beer that uh, I bought in 2007. It was produced back then. Are you ready? La Divina. Oh. Can you guess what country it's from? Yes. <laughs> Italy, <laughs> it, it, oh, it, the tourist, Yes. So it, it reminds me a lot of uh, many Italian beers that I have consumed. So it's brewed by Birificio Torrecchiara. And in North America, the, the brewery is known as Panil because okay. they've released a few products. The Panil Barique is the one that is most common. It's a Flanders Red type beer. Remember, we tasted the Rodenbach. <laughs> right, right. It's in that family. And this is the original La Divina. And I'll tell you about it in a sec. But later they created uh, a second iteration of La Divina that was produced differently and barrel-aged. And that was also av- available in North America. And it was called Divina Panil, I think, or Panil Divina. might have just ended up in the U.S. So this beer here has the very interesting distinction of being the first spontaneously fermented beer <coughs> produced oh, in Italy. Uh, in 2007. The first spontaneously. What? So this beer is, uh, was rather brewed in the Parma region. Uh-huh. I'm sure you're very familiar the ham. with Parma. Yeah, right, ham. The ham. Uh, doesn't, Parmigiano. Uh, yeah, Parmigiano, Parmigiano. Prosciutto di Parma. So it's a no-joke uh, zone. Yeah. And the brewer Renzo, his family were winemakers. It's it's wine of course, country. His name is Enzo. Uh, Renzo. Oh, Renzo. And he decided to start a brewery and made many delicious beers using wine techniques and wine yeah, influences. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes wine must. With this particular beer, though, what he did is he uh, made the the what we call the wort, so the blend of malt and water. Mm-hmm. And instead of pitching yeast into it to ferment it, he put it in big stainless steel vats into the uh, vineyards overnight and let the natural uh, yeasts that are mm-hmm. in the air mm-hmm. settle into the beer and Whoa. ferment the beer. It's a technique called spontaneous fermentation. Okay. If you've heard of lambics. I have. They are also produced using okay. this method. Wow. So I have to say. Wow, this is a very special beer. It, it's a, it is a very this special is beer. This is a very special beer um, that's looking for love. It is looking for oh, love. I yeah. love it. I love it. So I have. I'm intrigued to know what it tastes like. As I mentioned, I, I bought it in 2007. Okay. At the time, I bought two bottles, and I cracked the first one open. Yeah. And it tasted distinctly of pineapple and prosciutto. Wow. If you can wrap your brain around that. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't push that out of bed. Uh, it, it pineapple was, and prosciutto? It was, was it too much? Too many flavors. It was too yeah. much. Okay. And so I knew it would benefit from cellaring for a bit, and then, uh, as per usual, forgot it. In my right. cellar for because celery mellows things out. Yes, the flavors okay. will uh, usually. I feel like that's an important piece that we have not connected to. Celery yeah. mellows things out, right? In so in some bolder beers, 
when there are too many flavors, that's one of the purposes. Okay, of just leave it for a while. You don't have to leave it for 10 years. Right, or, or not I guess it's necessarily 12. 10 years. Whoa, what is that flavor in the front? It's just bold and beery, but help me with that. I'm getting yellow plums. Like yeah, a tart. Totally yellow plums. Tart. I can even plum. feel it in the gutter of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But interesting in the back there, that sort of that prosciutto flavor, what I saw. Oh, there's with totally prosciutto. the meatiness. Yeah. It's uh, for me, it's also the, the spice of the prosciutto, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of peppery, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to say moldy. But I don't know if you ever have you ever had oh, a prosciutto absolutely. in a cellar? Uh, totally, that very I have. distinct. Absolutely. The note. funk. Yeah. The funkiness, right? This is. First of all, tastes way better than it did 12 years ago. Okay, let the record show. But it's held up nicely. It has. And it actually, like just before the swallow, it has a little bit of all of the things where I see that we're loving around sour notes and bright notes in beers, right? A lot yeah. of that is happening, but it's not the entire way through. No, no. Uh, I find if I hold it on my tongue, I'm getting a little bit of rhubarb mm-hmm. as well as... Dust. These are very complex beers. The lambic style, spontaneously it fermented. Is a very complex beer, and should be appreciated. Mm. I brought uh, a bit of a classic thing that I made this morning. Ooh. Uh, for yes, I made this morning, uh, and I was like, "Oh, we're just going to do this. This is what we're going to do." I'm very excited. I love it when you make things. Thanks. And essentially. <gasps> I have brought a stack of classic chocolate chip cookies. Cookies! Right? Just cookies. Uh, but sweet and crunchy. Uh, and I don't know about beer. I, and, and then I was like, oh, beer and cookies. Why? Who says it has to be milk? Beer and cookies can be delicious. Right? Beer I don't, and cookies. I don't know if Lambic is the first yeah, I don't know beer either. I would go to. Let, let's taste the cookies, I don't, though. Please take the very, very classic, very simple chocolate chip cookie. Are you of the crunchy school of cookie of chocolate chip cookies or the I am the usually soft of school. the chewy, but okay. these have turned uh, to have some crunch. Definitely crunch. Yep. Definitely very classic. Very classic. What I associate. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah. What chocolate did you use? You know what? That's just chippets. Really? It's just chippets, semi-sweet chocolate chips. Semi-sweet. The semi-sweet is the key bit, mm-hmm. right? You need the darkness. That makes a more compelling cookie. Milk chocolate and the sugar of a cookie is too much on that that sort of that high sweet note, you know? So my instinct is telling me that this might not work out so well. <laughs> okay. This might not what, be a love what match. What are you thinking? Uh, I'm hesitant because I think, one, they're, they're both really strong flavors, mm-hmm. and they might fry each other's circuits. Yes. Right. That's what I'm a bit concerned about. We may have we may have elected to put two powerhouses together in a way that may not work. In my mind, my my original thought was I think the beer is going to be too bossy, and then I had a, a moment of wait, maybe the, the cookie, cookie is might too. also the cookie might also. Yeah. And here's the thing: I, I think they're both going to hold their ground. I think so too. Texturally, I'm excited about sort of the fuller mm-hmm. body of this beer, the richness yep. with the the dryness of the cookie. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm a little concerned. I am also. All right. Oh, let me talk one more time. Wait, before, yeah. <laughs> so let me do that again. Confusing. Let me do that again before I have a comment. Mm. <laughs> okay. So with the intersection of the circles in mm-hmm. my mouth, yeah, bitter. Yes, it's like a new a new bitter that was not there before. 
We have that third taste, but in the other direction. Almost an astringency. Yeah, it's bitter. We've talked about embracing bitter, but this Mm -hmm. is not this is not a joyful bitter. No, no, this is a we've somebody's made a mistake bitter. It's weird because the first impact the beer is. I think the beer is the boss. It does. Yes. Then there is an odd moment where the beer and the cookie come together for mm-hmm. a minute. There is. And the, the flavors do, do do meld compellingly. It's sort of a fruit chocolate, almost, uh, I think it's a lemon or lemon rind and chocolate. I'm with you on the lemon zest. Out. The bitterness of the pith. And then it just goes into bitter and mm-hmm. this, this like and stays there. A glimmer of hope in the mm-hmm. middle. but They're uh, both, they're both Pisces. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, no. they may be individually a nice fit, but together, it's not enjoyable. No. I don't like this. Nope. Mm-mm. Not bearing cookies this way. La Divina might be divine, but it's not... Uh... On a, alone. Yeah. yeah. Right? Oh. Chocolate chip cookie, great. Solo. Yeah. We don't need them Maybe together. Maybe we can just call it La Diva then. Oh, <laughs> well done. If you're enjoying The Hot Plate, rate us or leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, okay, so I'll start with thanks for listening, and then I'll insert it Yeah, okay, so I'll start with thanks for listening, and then I'll insert it there, and then go to you can follow us on Twitter, and then you can splice it in. Yeah, okay, so I'll start with thanks for listening, and then I'll insert it there, and then go to...